Truth Espresso, episode 251. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso, to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. <laughs> and now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. <sighs> this is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. Hey there, friends, family, foes, and lurkers alike. This is your host, Daniel Minnick. And if you can tell from my voice isn't completely over what uh, the under the weather that I mentioned last week, but it's definitely better than it was, say, Thursday or Friday as we record this Saturday evening. So, plugging along to do part two of federal court gesturing with the Hunter Biden uh, saga. And this episode, we're going to get into the plea deal hearing. And so, sweetheart, ready to do this with me again? Sure. To start off this episode, to kind of look at what we're going to be covering, would you like to begin with some verses as we usually do in the series, sweetheart? Yeah. So our first verse comes from Matthew 10, verses 26 through 27. It says, Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness... That speak ye in light, and what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. Yes, I think these verses, even if the context of them is not clear, I think they speak clearly to what we're going to talk about with the shenanigans. And it seemed like with the Hunter Biden plea deal, there was a lot of stuff that was trying to be snuck behind the scenes, a lot of stuff that was intended not to be said. And so basically the idea was keep this judge in the dark and don't let the judge read certain things, don't say certain things in front of the judge, and then we'll get what we want. But there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed according to Jesus. And I think some things that were covered did get revealed in this hearing. And so, as we begin where we left off last episode, we were talking about how the plea deal was drafted at the end of discussing Hunter Biden's struggles and his addictions and basically what led up to the charges that would basically be semi-dismissed via him pleading guilty to things and signing a plea deal. And so we start off with Wednesday, July 19th, 2023. This was where two IRS whistleblowers, one that had been revealed before by the name of Gary Shapley and another was Whistleblower X that was only revealed until the hearing itself. So Wednesday, July 19th, these two whistleblowers, Gary Shapley and then revealed to be Joseph Ziegler, both testified before the House Ways and Means Committee talking about how they became aware of a lot of Hunter Biden's business deals and how they perceived that Joe Biden was certainly involved in that. And I think if I remember correctly from hearing it, that they testified to what they observed to be a total of about $17 million that the Bidens had gotten from foreign money laundering. 
I remember I was listening to some of this testimony and the Democrats would try to ask these whistleblowers questions, grill them, and they would answer in detail and they would answer truthfully. And then some of the Democrat uh, questioners would get frustrated and use some of their time basically to just blast the opposition, blast the Republicans, basically act like, okay, this is just another plot to install Trump again, and we don't want that to happen now, do we? Because of how horrible he is and all that stuff, instead of focusing on what are they there for and what were these whistleblowers there to testify for. Mm. So that was that, and and the whistleblower testimony becomes integral, kind of, to some things even humorously that happened (laughs) as the plea deal hearing was going to come up. (laughs) (laughs) I think the second part, yeah, you can see a lot more of the deception and just the lengths that they go to to cover up as much as they can or like you said, keep the judge or others in the dark as much as possible. So yeah, this whole section is just quite humorous. So. It will be fun to kind of go through. Yeah, because then it wasn't long. So six days later from when the whistleblower testimony from the IRS agents happened, Tuesday, July 25th, the House Ways and Means Committee Chairman Jason Smith, the one who chaired the testimony event that happened six days earlier. So Tuesday, July 25th, House Ways and Means Committee Chairman Jason Smith submitted transcripts of the IRS whistleblower testimony to the court that would hear Hunter Biden's plea deal. And he submitted it as an amicus brief and basically was saying, um, hey, judge, you might want to read this before signing off on that rather unusually lenient plea deal. (laughs) And of course, I think it was over 900 pages. So, and this was the day before the plea deal hearing. So it wasn't much of a chance that the judge was going to be able to digest that, but it was kind of like, hey, this is relevant because we're dealing with a plea deal for certain charges and for Hunter Biden that he would plead guilty to. And I think the House Ways and Means Committee realized from just weeks before what this plea deal entailed and how it had some kind of immunity in it. And it's like, hey, you might not want to grant him immunity to things you might not be aware of until you're aware of what's in here. So Theodore Catelia, attorney for Wilmington, Delaware law firm, Halloran Farkas Catelia LLP. <laughs> that's a <laughs> lot of names there. <laughs> yeah, that's the name of the law firm there. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so basically a representative, an attorney from the law firm signed off on the brief. Then Latham and Watkins employee, so the opposite firm... <laughs> Oh, right. yeah, and, the, and this was the firm representing Hunter Biden. Okay. So, yes, the firm representing Hunter Biden, they had an employee by the name of Jessica Bengals. She called the clerk's office and claimed to be a Republican attorney working with Catelia for the House Ways and Means Committee and simply requested that the court remove the testimony from the docket because it had sensitive contact information. 
Yeah, so this is kind of funny, even though it definitely seems to be illegal, and it, you'd think it should result in a lawyer being removed from the bar in this case. But yeah, so someone from Hunter Biden's legal team pretending to be someone from the law firm that the House Ways and Means Committee used to send the Iris whistleblower testimony. She's pretending to be from there and working with the attorneys there to say uh, this was a mistake on our part, you know, to submit this because we didn't realize that there is some sensitive information that we don't want to be in the public docket here for this case, so if you'd kindly remove it... (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it seems to be a very recent practice of we don't want the public to see all these documents because there's sensitive contact information. In the last episode, we mentioned the FBI form FD-1023 that the claim was the wall that has sensitive information in there. And we find out, no, it's really just important information for the case. (laughs) So, Like, I've never heard of this kind of thing happening before. To me, it seems like it would... It'd be something that would be in like a comedy skit, something that might happen in like the genius minds behind Saturday Night Live or something, not (laughs) in real life. (laughs) Yes. Or something like young kids would do, like (laughs) doing prank phone calls and pretending to be someone or something that they're not. And you would never expect like a lawyer. (laughs) Who knows the law? Who knows? Probably took ethics classes in college or something. And you would think she would be a pretty good lawyer if she's on Hunter Biden's team. (laughs) I don't know. It's just, yeah. Wow. So basically a prank call to the court here to try to get something removed from the docket that you know like so sweetheart do you have an idea of why she might want to have had it removed from the docket (laughs) hmm most likely it had incriminating information in it so they didn't want that to be released or made known And so after some rapid fire correspondence between the attorneys for Catilla and Latham, the lawyer groups there and the court clerk revealed what happened. Uh, U.S. District Judge, the judge over this Hunter Biden's plea deal case, Judge Mary Ellen Noreka, ordered that the document be sealed the whistleblower testimony document be sealed until the end of business the next day. In other words, the end of the day where the plea deal would be heard the next day. The defense had to explain specifically what parts had to be sealed by then. And we're talking 900-page documents, so it's kind of like, hey, you're making the claim that this should be removed because there's sensitive information. So tell me. You've got to tell me what needs to be sealed in here. (laughs) And if they didn't, then the document would be entirely unsealed by the end of the next day there. The judge also said in her order, quote, It appears that the caller misrepresented her identity and who she worked for. <laughs> In an attempt to improperly convince the clerk's office to remove the amicus materials from the docket, 
Therefore, it is hereby ordered that on or before 9 p.m. today, on July 25th, 2023, counsel for defendants shall show cause as to why sanctions should not be considered for misrepresentations to the court, unquote. (laughs) (laughs) To just try to think of what's going on in her mind, like she's probably being as polite as she could be in professional orders and conversation here, but we're talking about the Biden crime family here and their lawyering. This seemed to be sheer desperation on their, like, what could we possibly try to get away with because we must have this plea deal go through tomorrow. We can't have this stuff be on the docket influencing the judge. Whatever it takes. Hey, Jessica, pretend to be someone else or pretend to represent the affirm from the other side, basically, and, t- <laughs> and tell him, whoops, can you please remove that? That was by mistake you know <laughs> oh, goodness. i've never seen such desperation happen in lawyering before and i've mm-hmm. seen pretty desperate lawyers before <laughs> hey i'm daryl and i'm here with my wife karen what's up and we're the hosts of the what are we even doing here podcast the podcast that seeks to answer the question that we all asked what are we even doing here We cover topics such as marriage, family, life, and living a Christian life in this crazy world. We don't have all the answers, but we know where to look. Subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on SoundCloud as we seek the kingdom of God and find out what we are even doing here. Grace and peace. So eventually, Matthew Salemo from Latham, he sent a letter to the judge to explain that what happened was miscommunication. And that there was no misrepresentation. Quote, the matter under consideration appears to stem from an unfortunate and unintentional miscommunication between a staff member at our firm and employees of the court. We have no idea how the misunderstanding occurred. But our understanding is there was no misrepresentation. End quote. That just makes you laugh. Yeah, it's like, okay, now they're having to, okay, whoops, you know, we got caught. Now we've got to figure out how to cover our trails here and say, you know, no one intended to misrepresent anything. So there was just a misunderstanding and almost like claiming that the clerk of the court were the ones who misunderstood things when it's like, uh, I don't think they misunderstood anything. (laughs) This was clear misrepresentation. So for some reason, that story reminds me a lot of this Bible verse from John, John eight thirty two. It says, and ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. <laughs> yeah. And it just, in some ways, it makes me sad for these people that are going to such ridiculous extent to try and cover up for Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. And they just have to do all these lies and deceitfulness. Like they must be in such bondage having to live like that and try and think like that that's like my favorite part of that verse is when the truth is known that it's so freeing like you don't have the bondage of lies and deceit and deception anymore and i think through all of this case 
that's kind of what makes knowing these important facts about what is really going on, what is happening, what is the FBI covering up, what are we not being told when we find out more truth and more information then you feel more free, like, oh, okay, now I can understand where this person's coming from, or even to the extent of, okay, who are you going to vote for eventually? Because when you have truthful information coming out, that gives you more freedom to understand what's going on. So I don't, I just love that verse, and it just, the section just reminded me of oh, that. Oh, yeah. Because it's like clearly some people here don't really care about truth. They think they're the most free if they can get away with stuff. But according to Jesus, you're set free by truth. And yeah, Mm -hmm. don't live by lies if you just live by truth. You may not be the most materially successful person in the world, but you can live free. And yeah, there are lots of people, as you said, sweetheart, that have to live in bondage because they live by lies and try to defend the indefensible. So then now we move to the next day, which is the day of the plea deal hearing. And I remember anticipating this and thinking like, can a miracle happen? Because I was really expecting, yep, they're just going to go. The judge is going to hear the plea deal. They're like, okay, both sides agree. All right. I guess there's nothing I could say in the matter. Both sides are agreeing to this. So sign off and we'd be on our way. And yeah, and there'd be lots of snickering about how they got away with stuff. But the Tuesday evening shenanigans possibly might have tipped the judge off on the fact that, you know, something smells fishy in Wilmington, Delaware here. (laughs) So Wednesday, July 16th, the plea deal hearing, it began at 10 a.m. and it actually lasted longer than both parties were expecting. They thought it was probably going to be a 30-minute to a one-hour thing, but it ended up going till 1.14 p.m., according to the docket there. So the U.S. District Judge, Mary Ellen Noreka, as we mentioned, she heard the plea deal, and she was very much engaged in asking questions, getting both sides to explain what this plea deal is all about. Because she read the plea deal, she did her homework, obviously. Now, there's the plea agreement that Hunter Biden was expected to sign, and there was the pretrial diversion agreement. And both of these documents, the attorneys on the side of the government or the DOJ, and on Hunter Biden's side, you know, they're kind of joined at the hip, you know, when it comes to this case here. They won't all want the same thing. They want Hunter Biden to skate free. They had these two documents that they claimed stood on their own, but they really didn't. And the judge kind of saw through that, that it's almost like a, you're trying to make me gloss over this diversion agreement and make me just rubber stamp, as we'll see things happen. But the judge was not about to rubber stamp anything. So Judge Noreka, you know, I have several like, 
salient parts of the conversation that we got from the transcript of the hearing. So the judge says toward the beginning, quote, there are some provisions in those agreements that are not standard and are different from what I normally see. So I think we need to walk through these documents and get some understanding of what is being proposed so that I can give due consideration to the determination that you all are asking me to make, unquote. And I think once she said that, the attorneys are probably like getting a little nervous, like we need to walk through these. I thought this was just, hey, we're going to sign. He's going to plead guilty. Let's move on. So eventually, as I was reading the transcript, she's asking Hunter questions and he testified under oath that he has not been under the influence of any drug or alcohol since June of 2019. Now, in part one of this about the Hunter Biden saga, I gave my theory about how that's very important to how they want to help Hunter Biden avoid being charged with stuff, avoid the penalties of it, avoid any further investigation because things go much deeper than Hunter. And it all hangs on whether they can push a narrative that Hunter Biden was basically, you know, had a rough life starting in 2015 when his brother Bo died and that really got him it enhanced his uh, cocaine addiction and stuff and that's how these charges came up because you know he's struggling with grieving the death of his brother but then in 2019 when he married his um, most recent wife she was integral to helping him get off of his addictions and so therefore because he's been a good boy We can have compassion on him. We realize that any crimes he committed were because he was addicted, because he was grieving the death of his brother. So he's going to plead guilty. He's been clean. Now we can move on and stop investigating things and looking into how Joe Biden might be connected to all this. So, you might be aware that uh, on July 2nd, there was a bag of cocaine found in the White House. It started off with mysterious white powder and, you know, hazmat team had to come over. People had to be evacuated from the White House and then pretty quickly turned out to be verified as cocaine. And so, the rumor mills get started from that. But yeah, after an 11-day so-called investigation, there were no interviews on suspects, there were no leads, there was no camera footage. They claimed there there was no fingerprints detectable and there was no DNA. (laughs) So, So much for the most secure house building in the world. So basically, we're told after 11 days, nothing to see here. The investigation is over. It found nothing. And also, by the way, marijuana has been found in the White House at least twice in like the last year or so. So it's not a big deal anyway. So I was looking at this cocaine gate because, you know, I've always suspected that it might have something to do with Hunter Biden as to why it was so important that we can't find out anything about that. It's just move on. Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre would constantly answer questions with like, let's let the Secret Service do their job. They're going to get to the bottom of this probably knowing full well that they're just going to drag their feet for a few days while they write up a report saying they couldn't find anything. 
Now, some sources, like uh, I saw Radar Online and Soldier of Fortune magazine, say that fingerprints were identified around the same time, naturally, that the substance itself was identified, but that this has been kept confidential. And one person who claims to have information about this is uh, one named Susan Cotts Keating, who is a former senior editor at the Washington Examiner and a military correspondent of People Magazine, and she allegedly knows the name of the person identified from fingerprints by two unnamed security sources. One of the sources told her, we know who handled it, we've known since last week, and this was in an article that would have made last week be the week of this incident. So, Kotz Keating said she won't disclose that name until there was official confirmation, which then it's like, okay, is this secret going to go to the grave with her? When is this going to come out? If she knows and she considers important, there could be constraints on her. Mm -hmm. It's unfortunate that you know this, so you better not talk about it. Supposedly, the fingerprints, she says, well, there's a few people that I can at least say it doesn't belong to. Supposedly, the fingerprints don't belong to Joe, Jill, or Hunter Biden, nor Kamala Harris, but someone in the Biden family orbit, as the source said. So most people suspect it's someone important, it's someone secure, as the location kept changing from heavily trafficked tourist area to something that's more secure and commoners most likely wouldn't be in. And yeah, we've always suspected it's someone in the Biden family orbit. Now, Jesse Waters, who's a host at Fox News, he was determined to find out what was going on with this. He wasn't satisfied with the Secret Service's investigation, and he filed a FOIA request with the FBI and the Secret Service, and they denied his request. So he appealed it, and they rejected his appeal, naturally. And they replied that the cocaine situation isn't a, quote, matter of widespread and exceptional media interest in which there exist possible questions about the government's integrity which affect public confidence, unquote. (laughs) So basically, they're just saying, there's no reason for us to release information about this because there's nothing that's of your interest and, you know, it's not going to affect the government's integrity, so... Just forget it. You know, there's no need for this to be released, which I think thou dost protest too much. (laughs) The Secret Service also purportedly burned the evidence, as Jesse Waters mentioned. Yeah, so the Secret Service destroyed the evidence. They didn't put it in the evidence locker. They didn't send it to Quantico for additional testing. They incinerated it. Is that proper criminal procedure? Is that how you handle evidence? Uh, Hey, Jimmy, we just seized a ton of coke and firearms from the back of the truck. The DA doesn't want to bring charges, so let's go out back and light it on fire. That's some chain of custody they have going over on there at the White House. The only way now we'll ever prove whose coke it was is if Hunter confesses. So here's a question. Did the White House blow up the coke while they were testing it for fingerprints or after they tested it? Hey, let's just dust this bag for Prince. Oops, where'd that fire come from? They destroyed the cocaine to end the investigation. (laughs) Wow. 
Yeah. So as I said, I entertain the possibility that the cocaine had some link to Hunter, even if his fingerprints weren't on the bag. I think it could be someone close to him who smuggles it into the White House for him because Mm -hmm. it seems that he possibly lives in the White House for the time being. And I think if this incident in any way incriminates Hunter, as I laid out my theory in the last episode, it destroys the story that he's been sober since 2019, which then unravels his defense for the plea deal that his lawyers and the Department of Justice desperately want because the plea deal should end all further investigation and charges, as we'll see, you know, as we talk about the plea hearing, because any further investigation and charges into Hunter Biden could implicate President Joe Biden himself and possibly a bunch of other people in the D.C. swamp. So all of this hangs on the weakest link of the chain that Hunter Biden is a good boy now. He's sober since 2019. (laughs) Doesn't the situation make you just kind of sad for Hunter Biden? Like, I know he's not the best of persons, but it's like with people just constantly trying to get him off the hook or trying to make excuses for him, trying to cover things up, that's just hurting him even more. And then he's like, oh, I can get away with more because there aren't any consequences. So it's just kind of sad to think about. I think that's why Proverbs is so clear about how we handle our children and that we need to stay on top of and not make excuses for or just like brush off things that they do. Because if we don't have those natural consequences, don't touch the hot stove or you'll get burnt and they don't obey and touch it and they get burnt well now they learn like oh yeah i shouldn't touch that again but i mean hunter's just not understanding the consequences at all through all this and so ultimately he just gets hurt to me that's just kind of sad that his because i guess what made me think of this is that a lot of the media coverage that we've heard too with mainstream media is that oh, Joe Biden just loves his son so much. You know, he's trying to keep him safe or, you know, this is a father's love for him. And it's like, oh, no, that's not how a father loves his son. A father would say, hey, you need help. Let me get you help here. Let's figure this out. Let's get you in rehab or whatever he needs. They don't, a loving father doesn't stand there and just let his son continue to hurt himself and say, oh, it's okay. We'll just make sure that doesn't go on your record. And loving father would be trying to, yeah, help him get off his addictions. A loving father wouldn't be allegedly ignorant of all these business dealings and stuff, but be put on speakerphone and all that stuff. How involved was he in his son? If on one hand, we have to think that he's, oh, he just loves his son so much. But on the other hand, he's so ignorant of what his son did for years. You know, like (laughs) not trying to really push him through rehab, not trying to really lovingly correct him, you know, just letting him go to pot basically and claim not to know anything about where he was making millions of dollars. (laughs) Yeah. Things don't quite add up, do they? Are you living an abundant life? Jesus came to give us eternal life, yes, but also an abundant life here and now, overflowing with the fruit of the Spirit. The Abundant Life Podcast encourages and challenges Christians to spiritual change and growth 
by applying biblical principles to everyday life. Podcast hosts Sasso Mendez and Ben Ariano discuss various topics that are helpful for Christians and true to the scripture and bring a generous dose of humor. Visit AbundantLife.fm and subscribe to get notified of each new episode. That's AbundantLife.fm. So the judge mentioned that she had not had time to read the 900-page amicus submission, which, yeah, that makes sense, (laughs) but asked if anything in this 900-page letter would mean that the prosecution had not been investigated properly. Both sides denied that it would. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Which, yeah, they denied that it would change anything, but, you know, a certain Jessica Bengals, out of instruction or desperation, pretended to be someone (laughs) different, represent a different law firm from the other side to try to get this thing removed from the docket. But, nope, it wouldn't affect anything. (laughs) (laughs) Thank goodness for this judge and her thought process and just logic through this case. So she had really good questions about how the plea agreement related to the diversion agreement, which would grant the broad immunity to Hunter about his investigation charges. And it seems apparent that both sides hoped the judge wouldn't scrutinize the diversion agreement. Basically, it's like, hey, you read the plea agreement. The plea agreement makes reference to the diversion agreement. And the judge is kind of like, okay, well, let's see what the diversion agreement, the diversion agreement grants this broad immunity. And then it makes reference to the plea agreement and stuff. But the judge asks kind of like, how do I take these together? Because only the plea agreement's binding, but it seems to depend on the diversion agreement to fill in the gap of meaning here but yeah so we see how that really starts to unravel things so mr wise who's the attorney for the doj the government here says so your honor the united states position is that the agreements stand alone by their own terms he also said later on in the same conversation so your honor again our view is the plea agreement stands alone <laughs> but the judge you know at one point was asking hunter you would not agree to that plea agreement if you didn't get some immunity from other charges is that right And then Mr. Clark, who's the attorney for Hunter's Law Firms, is speaking for my client. That's correct, Your Honor. As I was reading through the transcript for this plea hearing, it's like, okay, so in other words, Hunter can't agree to plead guilty to something of which he may actually be guilty unless he is also immune to other charges of which he may also be guilty. And I think the judge is kind of like seeing the red flags here. It's like Mm. he's really trying to ask, like, on what basis are you pleading guilty? You won't plead guilty unless you get these terms exactly as these sides have written the agreement and the diversion agreement agreement down right his attorney has to say yeah basically (laughs) then the judge seemed to be thinking that both sides possibly didn't quite understanding the meaning of these two standalone agreements is do you guys need to talk about this for a few minutes then they have a five minute recess (laughs) so the judge continues asking her questions and asks Quote, if that diversion agreement did not exist, he would be willing to live by the terms of the plea and plead guilty. 
I have concerns about that diversion agreement. So I'm asking you, if it were not valid, if it were unenforceable, would he plead to the memorandum of plea? End quote. <laughs> yeah. So basically, if I remember from reading, it's like the attorneys would be trying to say like, okay, pretend the diversion agreement doesn't exist. We're only focused on the plea agreement. And the judge is kind of like, um, my head's spinning. I feel like I'm going in circles here, you know, mm -hmm. but saying, well, if you're saying pretend the diversion agreement didn't exist, I'm asking if it didn't exist, would he plead guilty? Because it seems like this plea agreement depends on the diversion agreement granting him immunity here. Mm. <laughs> So the judge says, have you ever seen, I think I just asked you this, but have you ever seen a diversion agreement where the agreement not to prosecute is so broad that it encompasses crimes in a different case? <laughs> so Hunter's going to plead guilty to the two tax misdemeanors and also the felony gun charge, but the gun charge basically gets dropped. And if he just does the two years of probation and and, you know, he's already paying back the taxes by a third party. <laughs> so basically he gets to skate free. The judge is like, why does the plea agreement make reference to the diversion agreement? The diversion agreement grants this immunity from other charges. Like, how do I accept this? <laughs> so she goes on and says, I think what I'm concerned about here is that you seem to be asking for the inclusion of the court in this agreement. Yet, you're telling me that I don't have any role in it, and you're leaving provisions of the plea agreement out and putting them into an agreement that you are not asking me to sign off on. So I need you to help me understand why this isn't in the written plea agreement. <laughs> and I think we could say why, yeah. because they were expecting her not to go over the diversion agreement. Just, here's the plea agreement. Yeah, it mentions the diversion agreement, but... Who cares about that? It depends on something that you really shouldn't be concerned with, right? Just sign off on this. <laughs> and the judge also further says, you're saying I don't even get to accept it. I guess I'm supposed to rubber stamp it under Rule C-1B, but then it would be a plea under Rule C-1A. They talked about that because she was confused as to which rule it really would fall under. And it, they didn't seem to explain it to her satisfaction. So then it would be a plea under Rule C1A if the provision that you have put in the diversion agreement, which you do not have any place for me to sign, and it is not in my purview under the statute to sign that you put that provision over there. So I'm concerned that you're taking provisions out of the agreement of a plea agreement that would normally be in there. So can you, I don't really understand why that is. And judge also, I saw later on, mentions, you reference the diversion agreement in the plea agreement. So it's not something that they can just ignore because it yeah. references it. They really planned mm. this out. The attorneys really planned this out to make sure the judge just rubber stamped it, as she said, without scrutinizing the two agreements and how they relate to each other and how they allegedly stand alone, too. And then the judge kind of continues on to say, I don't understand how you have an agreement not to pursue other charges in the case, the misdemeanor case, 
And you say that it is not part of this plea agreement. <laughs> we could see a lot of circular stuff going on here. Mm. The diversion agreement, the attorneys are trying to slip under her nose, basically. <laughs> now, legally, they couldn't hide it. They couldn't seal it from the judge. But I think they're crossing their fingers, you know, expecting that we enter this plea deal hearing. She's just going to be happy that the two sides agree to a plea deal. <laughs> So, and he's pleading guilty and here's the punishment. So, hey, none the wiser. So the judge also mentions, quote, so there are references to foreign companies, for example, in the facts section. Could the government bring a charge under the Foreign Agents Registration Act? <laughs> this was actually something that we, the public, didn't know about until this hearing was happening. And Mr. Wise for the DOJ said, yes. And so at this point, when he says yes, there's probably like a deer in the headlights moment. Okay, what's going to happen now? Because now he had to admit that there were other charges that Hunter likely violated the Foreign Agents Registration Act and that the diversion agreement allegedly could have granted him immunity from that, and that wasn't even mentioned, but it was a potential likely charge that he should be investigated for, that he technically violated per the discussion here. So then the judge says, I'm trying to figure out if there's a meeting of the minds here, and I'm not sure that this provision isn't part of the plea agreement, and so that's why I'm asking. And then Mr. Clark, on behalf of Hunter Biden, says, your honor, the plea agreement, and then the judge interrupts and says, I need you to answer my questions if you can. Is there a meeting of the minds on that one? And Mr. Clark says, as stated by the government just now, because the government had to admit, Mr. Wise had to admit that Hunter could potentially be investigated for violating the FARA. Mm. And so he says, as stated by the government just now, I don't agree with what the government said. <laughs> so then the judge says, so I mean, these are contracts. To be enforceable, there has to be a meeting of the minds. So what do we do now? Mr. Wise, on behalf of the government, says, then there is no deal. And then after a little more discussion, Mr. Clark, on behalf of Hunter Biden, says, as far as I'm concerned, the plea agreement is null and void. And so I remember as I was working from home on this Wednesday, kind of refreshing news sites that had live updates and looking to see what was going on and seeing like, whoa, the plea agreement might be falling apart and seeing the quote there that it was null and void. I'm like, I was not expecting this, but I'm pleasantly surprised. Hi, I'm Sharon Wilharm host of All God's Women podcast and internationally syndicated radio show. I'd love to invite you to join me as we bring to life the stories of women in the Bible and discover their relevance for our lives today. Listen at allgodswomen.com, your favorite podcast platform, or at christianpodcastcommunity.org. At this point, there was another recess and both sides were quickly trying to come up with a more narrowed plea agreement to present to the judge so she could sign off on something, something that they might hope to get passed that would be somewhat beneficial here. So the judge also asked Hunter Biden about some of his foreign company income, which was also kind of important. 
The judge also had concerns about how the attorneys linked the tax charges with the gun charge. So it's like, Mm. really, guys? I'm really having a hard time making sense of all this and how this really works to make a decent plea deal here? It seems like there's a lot going on behind the scenes that I'm still trying to figure out here. (laughs) So kind of summarizing this up and concluding the hearing, the judge says, quote, again, you all are telling me just rubber stamp the agreement, your honor, because all we're doing is recommending a plea. But it seems like the argument you're making is form over substance. What's funny to me is you put me right smack in the middle of the diversion agreement that I should have no role in. You plot me right in there and then on the thing that I would normally have the ability to sign off on or look at in the context of a plea agreement, you just take it out and you say, your honor, don't pay any attention to that provision not to prosecute because we put it in an agreement that's beyond your ability. I am not in a position where I can decide to accept or reject the plea agreement, so I need to defer it. Yeah, so because of that plea agreement breaking down and the judge having to defer it, Hunter then at the end of the hearing ultimately pleaded not guilty, but he plans to change that if he gets what he wants within the 30 or so days for things to be worked out further. So now the government and Hunter Biden's attorneys have to work out something that this judge might accept. And I think that's going to be a little difficult for them because the judge seems to be on to a little bit of what's going on here so if they try to hide anything if she asks questions where it's like a um we weren't supposed to say that part out loud you know then it's possible that she could say like well i can't accept any plea deal at this point since no plea deal makes sense so you're gonna have to go to trial and believe me both sides really do not want to go to trial with hunter Biden on this stuff here <laughs> so we'll provide links to the hearing transcript links to several of the articles i looked at on monday july 31st republicans on oversight committee he sent a letter to Attorney General Merrick Garland to investigate the DOJ's plea and pretrial diversion agreements to see, like, what's going on with all that? This doesn't seem kosher here. And also on Monday, July 31st, Devin Archer, Hunter's former business partner and best friend, testified in a closed-door hearing at the House. And it seemed like over the weekend there was possibly an attempt to keep him from doing that, but he still ended up doing that. Tucker Carlson also got an exclusive interview with him where he seemed to say more stuff than he actually you know, admitted at the congressional testimony. Wednesday, August 2nd, the plea agreement documents were released to the public. So put a link to that. You can read them yourself. And one thing that I noticed that seems to corroborate my theory, you know, I was like, I saw this and like, okay, you know, maybe I'm on the, a little bit on the right track here. So uh, one quote from the plea agreement document, it says, After numerous programs and trips to rehab, Biden got sober in May 2019, the same month he married his current wife. He has remained sober since. And so, yeah, 
<laughs> like, it's my theory, but I think this is very important. It's the shaky, it's the weak link in the chain on which the whole Biden corruption scandal hangs. <laughs> mm. They must be shaky in their boots. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It all unravels if, say, Hunter's cocaine was in the White House or if there's anything that would come out in a trial that would indicate that, no, Hunter's still not sober and he's still doing business deals and, yeah, his dad knows more stuff and there's more evidence of that. And, yeah, we could have some interesting days coming up. And so, you know, put on your seatbelts and prepare for some wild rides in the near future future i say (laughs) so to conclude sandwich our episode with some verses i looked at malachi 2 verse 9 where god was condemning the priests for being partial in the law but i think it applies to a lot of the legal practice we saw in this plea deal hearing and the shenanigans and the prank call and the hiding the diversion agreement and all that kind of stuff God tells the priests, Therefore have I also made you contemptible and base before all the people, according as you have not kept my ways, but have been partial in the law. And it seems like the powers that be want to be partial in the law when it comes to Hunter Biden and, by extension, President Joe Biden, and, by extension, (laughs) quite a few people in his family and also in administrative agencies in the government. And so let's hope that God will show mercy and help us as a country weed out the corruption and stop being partial in the law. And so we hope you enjoyed this episode of Truth Espresso and part two of the Hunter Biden game show, Plea Deal or No Deal. And uh, so stay tuned for the next episode of Truth Espresso to see what else new and exciting we could be talking about. And God bless. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning, and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso. 